I was recently introduced to the Comeback Podcast and was immediately intrigued by the stories and experiences shared. In my opinion, the podcast works because of the person who was inspired to start it. Ashley Stone knows what it's like to leave the church, and she knows what it's like to come back. So when she talks with others about their experiences of coming back, it is completely void of judgment and instead filled with light. In a recent social media post, Ashley wrote, I feel like it is my duty to share these stories. With so much negativity online, so much attacking, so much arguing and debating, these stories are a witness of the incredible miracle of the Savior's atoning sacrifice. I'm grateful for Ashley's witness and for the many witnesses she is introducing us to through her efforts. Despite growing up in a Latter-day Saint home, Ashley Stone was formally in and out of rehab facilities as she struggled with drug addiction. Ashley and her husband, Jesse, met in a meeting for the church's 12-step addiction recovery program and years later were reunited and married. Last year, Ashley started the Comeback Podcast. As she puts it, our message is this, everyone's faith journey is unique and may lead to leaving the church or stepping back. I am not here to invalidate any individual. However, I have seen the power that comes from taking a chance, even a second or third chance on the Savior and opening your heart to experience the gospel in its truest form. I am here to share stories of coming back. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Pearson, and I am so excited to have Ashley Stone on the line with me today. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I am such a fan of everything that you are doing and I'm excited to to hopefully introduce more people to the Comeback Podcast and to your story as we talk today. I want to start out kind of going back in time a bit. You were raised in a strong Latter-day Saint home, and you've said that you loved the church as a young girl, but that in middle school, you became exposed for the first time to drugs. I wondered if we could start there and have you tell me a little bit about how you were initially introduced to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So I was just kind of not really... I don't know, not really living like I wasn't devoted to the church at at that time as much as I could have been with activities and stuff. Uh, Like you said, younger years, I was 100%. But um, I was just I felt insecure. I felt like I wasn't ever pretty enough. I wasn't ever skinny enough. I wasn't cool enough. And So when the opportunity presented itself to try marijuana for the first time, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it. It was, I was at a friend's house and the cool kid at the high school was there and I wanted to be cool. And I just, I tried it. And after that, I was kind of like, I was waiting for this big feeling of like, stop, don't do it. But that didn't really come. So I was like, hmm. And then it was really when I drank alcohol for the first time that I was like, oh my gosh, I have confidence for the first time in my life. And it was just kind of a downhill spiral after that. And I, I didn't really have any, anything that I wouldn't try. I just, I tried pretty much everything under the sun. And 
that's kind of when my life spiraled out of control. So I am curious, you mentioned, you know, having a desire to be cool being the initial reason for for trying drugs and then recognizing that you had confidence in in trying alcohol. Do you think that's what drives people toward actual abuse of those substances? Or are there other factors that lead to substance abuse? Yeah, so I've, I mean, now I've been in and out of treatment many times. And I've seen a lot of addicts that have gotten sober or there's or whatever. And I think that a lot of times it kind of stems from something in their childhood or some some kind of you know, issue that they're trying to cover up. That's what I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of. For me, I, it wasn't really anything major that happened in my childhood. I went through a lot of therapy and I was always trying to figure out what it was that really drove me to that. The only thing Mm -hmm. I could ever really come up with was that my dad worked a lot when we were kids and that's not really, I mean, a lot of dads work a lot and he, he worked (laughs) Yeah, he worked as much as he did because my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad was a high school teacher. And so for him to give us a life with... There was five kids in our family and he did construction after school. And so he worked... Sometimes he would go do construction after school and then he would get up before school and do construction jobs. And so he worked so hard. And in his mind, he's creating this life for my family where my mom can be a stay-at-home mom. And to me, I was this little girl thinking, you know, where's my dad? He's always gone. And it's just one of those things where like he was doing what he thought was best. And who's to say that wasn't best, but it just kind of was something that hurt a little bit as a little girl. And so that was the only real thing that I could uncover from why I went down the path that I did. But yeah, I think with other people, I think typically there is something that kind of has some unresolved thing in their past that kind of leads them to it. I think people that feel like a whole person, like they they feel like they're content with who they are. They don't really need that like that thing outside of themselves to make them feel happy and okay. It's not even like really happy. It's just feeling okay. That's kind of what it was. And so I think people that that already feel like a whole person, they could maybe try it and not have that constant just need for more. You know what I mean? Right, right. So I wondered for you, so it got to this point, you mentioned you were in and out of treatment facilities and living a life very different than I'm sure you ever imagined or anticipated when you first tried those things. How Mm -hmm. would you describe the bonds of addiction and the control that addiction is capable of having on a person? It's interesting because as a little girl, I was... I never got in trouble. And I tried so hard and was such a good kid. And the first time I tried it, like I never in a million years would I think that I would end up in jail and rehab and, you know, probably should have died on multiple occasions. And I I think that what it came down to was I just had to have it. And it was really when I tried heroin, I was, you know, 
broke up with my boyfriend, sad story, blah, blah, blah. And I just was bummed out. And I had a friend that was like, Hey, you want to try this? And I was like, yeah, I'll just try it. Who cares? I just didn't see... I didn't play the tape through on that one really well. And mm-hmm. tried it three times and I was hooked. I was sick without it. I remember just being like totally emotionally unstable without it. Like my mom, if I just saw her calling me, it just... I would just fall. Like I was so empty inside and I had to have it to be normal. And it was really then... Well, that and I also went through a period of time where alcohol... I was such a horrible alcoholic that I was like shaking without it. Like I had to have it just to stop the shakes. And I was only like 19 at that time. So I was really young and not even old enough to drink alcohol. And so just having to have a substance to be able to function is a really rough way to live. Yeah, You don't have a choice at that point. You'll do anything and everything to be able to just feel okay. And you're basically in handcuffs. And so like, I couldn't even imagine a life where I could live sober. That was so far from the realm of possibility in my life. So yeah. Well, when you first, when you initially started your podcast, Comeback Podcast, you had a conversation with your dad. And I thought it was so cool that that's the way that you chose to start the podcast. And your dad repeatedly was the one that tried to show up to help you. And you said most people would have given up, but he never did. If it was, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't still be alive. I wondered, I feel like there are probably people listening to this podcast who feel like they'd like to give up on someone. But I wondered why would you say we shouldn't give up on the people that we love? And what kind of gratitude do you feel toward your dad for not giving up on you? Every person in my family was just... It was like I was hurting everybody so much because I had little sisters. I think my littlest sister was seventh grade at the time. I mean, maybe between her fifth and seventh grade year was when things were really, really bad. And my other sister was like a junior in high school. And then I had my older brother who was on a mission and, you know, going through his mission and then coming home. And um, my older sister, she got pregnant when she was a teenager. And so she had her own trials that she was facing. And I was just off on another planet. And like, Whenever my family did see me, it was like I was stealing from them. I was... Whatever I had to do to get my drugs, I just... I had blinders on. And eventually it got to the point where it just hurt everybody so much that they had to distance themselves from me. And my mom, she is the most loving, caring woman on earth. But she's told me like, I had to close my heart off from you because it hurts so bad. And my dad... He just really he stepped into that that pain, I think. On the podcast with my dad, he talks about how he lost his dad at a young age and he was 16 and his dad drowned. They were on a scouting trip in Canada and his dad drowned the boat capsized and my dad and my uncle and my dad's friend are the ones that survived and it was really traumatic and that experience with his dad, I don't know, like it just 
I felt like his his dad, I feel like has been like a guardian angel in my life kind of. And that kind of connection with him and like him just like doing everything he can to show up for me as my dad and and save me essentially. He never ever gave up on me and I hurt him in so many ways. He couldn't trust me. He would try to take me to treatment and I would just run away and he would drive all across the country to pick me up somewhere and I just kept doing drugs. It was really painful for him to do that, but I don't know how he didn't give up on me to be honest because it was it was crazy, but he just didn't. He he always took my calls if I was not high, if I was if I was withdrawing from drugs, I wanted to get high. But if I was high, I wanted to get sober. And I know that's kind of a weird thing to kind of <laughs> digest. But when you're high and you're okay, you can see your life and think, wow, my life is in shambles. Like this really sucks. But when you're withdrawing from drugs, the only thing you can think about is getting drugs. So every time I would be high, I would be calling my dad, Hey, I really need help. Like, please help me. And then I would be, then he would come and try and help me. And I'd start withdrawing again. And then I was just off to get my drugs. But now it's been almost in February, it'll be 10 years that I've been clean. And I am a completely different person than I was 10 years ago. And I can't even relate to that person. My dad and I have such a special bond because of everything we went through. And I just, I think that he doesn't hold that against me now. And it's hard for me to even relate to that. I can't even understand what I was thinking during that time because it was, it's so far off from who I am today. But you just never know who somebody's going to be. You have no idea what the refining process in their life will look like or what God is doing in their life at this time to refine them to make them a better person. And so like, we just don't know how things unfold. And, you know, what you can do is just love them and don't give up on them. I'd say don't enable them. Like my dad, he wasn't giving me money. Like he wasn't... That's one thing that people want to do is they want to like help their kids, try and keep them out of jail or try and help them financially or whatever, but that's really just enabling them. And and he didn't do that. He wasn't enabling me, but he was he would always tell me he loved me and that he was there for me. And and I needed that. It was my lifeline during that time. I needed that somebody that that believed in me, that believed I could do it. And so yeah, I guess my my advice for other people would just be to you just never know. You never know how much somebody's heart can change. Right. I love that. One thing that I thought was so cool as you shared your story was you talked about this significant moment with the Book of Mormon and that you had this experience while in rehab. And I wondered if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So I was in rehab for the, you know, 15th time or whatever. And (laughs) I was at the Salvation Army in Fresno, California. And I had been in a free detox before that and free to Fresno County residents. So there was a lot of gang members in there. It was really hardcore. And I'm a little girl from Utah. It was pretty wild. And So then I go to the Salvation Army, similar setup. It's a free program. There's a lot of people that are 
just have a really hardcore lifestyle that go in there. And I'm the only member of the church anywhere to be found in this. And not really that you could call me like a member of the church at the time, because I was very far removed from everything related to the church. So the Salvation Army, you work 40 hours a week. And I'm like, I don't even know if I should be here. This is awful. I haven't worked in so long and I'm withdrawing from drugs and I've got to be here working in this warehouse and it sucks. And and the preacher guy pulls me into his office and he's like, okay, Ashley, pick a Bible for you to use while you're here at the program because it was a Christian-based program. So if you're familiar with the Salvation Army, it's all Christian-based. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so I there's a shelf with like a hundred Bibles on it. And I'm like, I'll take the pink Bible. So he hands me this pink Bible and I open it up and there's a Book of Mormon bookmark in it. And I'm just like, what? Like, how <laughs> is this even possible that this is in here? I like kept looking at it like, there is no way this is in this book, this Bible. And I knew that that was straight from Heavenly Father. Ashley, I've got your back. You are where you need to be. It felt like home. I'm in this foreign place. There's this just little piece of something that feels like home. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the program, I got a message from... It was actually somebody that I met in a different treatment center that was a family friend. And he sent me an email just checking in on me to see how I was doing. And I told him I was in rehab again. And he's like, Ashley, if you read the Book of Mormon every single day, I promise you will never go back to your old life. And I, at this point, I don't even know if I can stay sober. I don't even know. I can't even picture my life sober. I couldn't even picture being happy without alcohol at least. But I'm like, whatever, I have nothing to lose. So I just decided to try it. And I've read the Book of Mormon every single day for almost 10 years since he told me that. And it's interesting because there's a quote by President Nelson that says, if you read the Book of Mormon every single day, you will be immunized against the evils of the day, including pornography and other mind-numbing addictions. And I can totally testify that that is so true because I experienced that, you know, firsthand in my life. That's so awesome. Well, and I love how you talked about how religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ did for you what none of those rehab programs that you had attended had been able to do in helping you overcome addiction. You said, what worked for me was setting a goal for myself that had nothing to do with drugs, but that required me to get off drugs in order to accomplish it. Ashley, what was that goal and what was the power behind setting it? I got out of treatment. I went to live with my parents again, which was totally walking on eggshell situation. They're just waiting for me to see what I'm going to do. But I was like, okay, I'm going to get my limited use Temple Recommend. It had been so long since I had been to church. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And I'm just going to do everything they ask me to do. And I'm just going to see. They say that people are happy in the church and the atonement's real and you know all these things. But I'm going to test it and I'm going to do this little experiment and see if if this actually makes me happy. Like I've tried everything else. I've 
I've been through rehab after rehab. I've tried finding boyfriends to make me happy. I've tried uh, just all the things and nothing really does it for me. So I'm going to just do this little test. So I had to quit smoking, which was really hard. I know everybody vapes today, but back then everybody smoked cigarettes that was in that scene. And so I had to quit smoking and then I had to quit drinking coffee, which was really hard. And it's like my daily routine. It was really challenging to give up. And then I had to quit (laughs) chewing Nicorette gum, which I was chewing to get quit the smoking. So I had to quit doing that too. And I had to go through the repentance process with my bishop. And I had to do all these things. And it was... I got my limited use temple recommend and and doing those things. It's crazy because I had been smoking cigarettes for a long time. Quitting smoking is really hard because heroin, it's effect like you, it's very noticeably ruining your life on a day-to-day basis. You are stealing stuff like you're, you're destroying your body. (laughs) You're, you can visibly see how your body is messed up. Smoking is a longer takes longer to kill you. And Mm. so it's not like something that that just makes it harder. Like if you are, if you have an addiction that's damaging your life very quickly, it's okay. I either got to quit doing this or accept the fact that I'm going to die and, or go to jail or, you know, some other treacherous path. Um, smoking is something that you can actually live a life and keep doing this. So it makes it a lot harder to quit because it's just like a habit that you're doing every day, a, a coffee also. And so just the fact that I was able to quit doing it was such a miracle and can only be described as the enabling power of the Savior's atonement. <laughs> that is the only way I can describe it because I just... It's, it's still a miracle to this day that I was able to do that. But so I get my limited use recommend and I go to do baptisms for the dead with my singles ward. And I go in there and it's been like, you know, 11, 12, 13 years since I'd been there to do baptisms for the dead. And I'm waiting for this big, huge spiritual experience to happen to me, but it didn't. But I was in there and I felt good and I felt at peace and I was kind of like, you know what? I feel I feel okay right now. I feel like this is good. And so I was like, I'm just going to keep going with this. Like, I'm going to keep going with this and see kind of what happens. And I remember finishing the Book of Mormon and kind of also waiting for this big, huge lightning bolt spiritual experience. That didn't happen. But I was kind of like, you know what? I still feel pretty good. Like, I'm going to... I'm just going to keep going. So... I kept going with it and I ended up going to California and selling pest control out there. If anyone is from Utah and familiar with door-to-door sales, that's what I did. And it was actually such a good experience for me because there were some guys there that had some real... like They were just off their mission and they were good examples to me of how covenant-keeping Latter-day Saints live their life and what they do. And they kind of mirrored that for me and... And I was really grateful for that. And and I I made the commitment. I am doing this. I'm doing what they tell me to do because I feel better than I felt before. So I kept just taking the next right step and and things just kept getting better and better from there. Well, and then fast forward a little bit, you ended up 
meeting your husband. And I have to tell you, I listened to your husband's episode of your podcast as well. And I was like, this is so awesome. Like you guys make a really, really great team. And that's clear just in listening to you. But you met your husband five years before you actually ended up marrying him and you met him in a 12 step program. Tell us a little bit about how the two of you ended up together and what it means to have someone as your spouse that understands your past in a pretty unique way. So crazy story. I I was 18 and I was just getting ready to go party with my friends. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hit up the LDS 12 step meeting, (laughs) which is makes no sense. Naturally. No, like, it's just so weird. Like I'm getting, you know, all ready to go party and stuff. And but I'm like, I'm gonna go. So I go and there's this like way hot guy there. And he's this baseball player at, at, at from Dixie State. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, he is so cute. And then after the meeting, he writes my cell phone number in his LDS 12 step manual. And then I never saw him again for five years. <laughs> and that was And we were Facebook friends and that's it. And I kind of seen that he was like coming back to church. I saw on social media that he was coming back to church and that he was, and I kind of was too. And so I just, we just randomly, I reached out one time and I was like, Hey, like I saw you're going back to church and that's awesome. I see you're working at a treatment center. That's so cool. And we just started talking and then he was like, I, I was long story, but I was living in Arizona at the time because I had to turn myself into the jail there. That's a story for another day. <laughs> but I was sober. I was sober at the time, and he said, "If you come to Utah to visit me, you're going to fall in love with me." And I was like, "Ew, no, I'm not." Yeah, right. No way. And then I flew to Utah for a work thing, and then he picked me up from the airport at 7 a.m. And that was the first time we saw each other in years. And I was like, "Yep, you're my husband. Okay, we're getting married." <laughs> So, so, so Ashley, really yeah. quick for those. So I, I'm going to tell people you should go and listen on Ashley's podcast to her husband's whole story. But just to give people like a little bit of an idea of your husband and where he was coming from at that point in his life. Can you share just a little bit about that? Yeah. So my husband, he has similar past to mine. He was did heroin, heroin addict, just he actually won the national championship at Dixie College when he was I think it was in 2004. And then he went on a mission and then he actually started drinking on his mission, which is kind of wild, but and he got sent home from his mission. He went to his mission president and said, "Hey, this is what I did. I really want to finish my mission, but his mission president sent him home." And it was really hard for him because he really wanted to serve a mission. And and he went back to drugs, had a really rough couple years. And then he ended up coming back to the church as well. And he also has just about 10 years sober now. So. Wow. Well, and, and I thought one thing that I thought was interesting in listening to your story and in listening to his story is that it seemed like you both have regrets and you both express those regrets. For example, your husband talked about how his biggest regret is not 
going back out on his mission after he was sent home. And you talked about how you regretted the money and sleep that your parents lost over their concern for you. I wondered for both of you, how do you deal with regret? Because again, I imagine that there are some listening who have you know, made mistakes and are dealing with that regret. And, and it sometimes I think can sh- keep people from being able to move forward. So how do you not let regret keep you from moving forward? So I personally, I mean, I know for him, he really, it does still hurt him with his mission. I think what he tries to do and what we both kind of try to do is just live our lives in a way that we can make up for kind of some of the mistakes that we made. And, but yeah, that's something that he can't really ever get back. And and that does hurt him still today. But for me, I think I feel really sad about the things that I did to my family. But one of the, the gifts that has come from my past, my addiction is that we all, everyone in my family has seen how much somebody's heart can change and how much somebody can change. Like my brother, he makes fun of me because he's like, you have the gnarliest conscience of anyone I've ever seen. Like, and I do like, I, I will not like, I just don't like to do anything where I think that I might be like doing something wrong. I just don't like to do it. Like, you know, whether it's, just, I don't know, like the example I always use is like sneaking candy into the movie theater. Like I just, it like, I just don't like doing anything of the sort. Anything that I think is possibly breaking a rule, like I don't want to I do that. And it's, I, I've had such a change of heart with everything that I do. And so I think the gift that has come from that is just everyone's seen how much I changed. And I think I am very fortunate to have a family that has truly forgiven me for what I've done. And my dad and I, it's like that whole experience that we went through together has just, it strengthened our testimony. And I, I, one of the things that I've noticed is that when you're in those early stages of coming back to the church, God is so present in your life. There's all these little signs and things that you can't deny, like that Book of Mormon bookmark. And I would be working in the warehouse at the Salvation Army and I'd be like, I hate this. This sucks. I'm going home. And then all of a sudden, this EFY t-shirt would come through my line that I had to hang up on a hanger. And it would say, don't give up. God always has your back or just something like that. (laughs) Just the time I needed to see it. And I've heard that in the podcast a lot that that people experience that they see those little miracles. And I think as time goes on, I think God expects more faith from you. It's not like he's like hitting you upside the head like he does when you first start taking that step back. But you've got to work for it. He he wants you to have faith and to put in the effort to be connected to him. And so I think that, you know, I I received those gifts of him encouraging me to come back and And now I was saying, my dad and I, we just have a really strong bond over everything we went through and strength and testimonies. And so anyway, yeah. That's awesome. 
Ashley, so you mentioned your podcast just a second ago. So I think this is a good transition into that. What led you to start the Comeback Podcast and how did you initially have the idea for it? I'm glad you asked. I It had been on my mind for... I don't know, like a year, like I just, the, just the name come back. And because whenever we're referring to people like coming back to the church, it's like, you know, you say come back, like if they come back or whatever. And so that name just really stuck out to me. And then I just wanted to do it. The only podcasts that I've listened to are some entrepreneur podcasts and Papa Osler, I've listened to his podcast and I'm not a huge podcast listener. I wasn't either. So I understand. Yeah. So I was just like, this needs to happen. We need to hear this. And then it just was on my mind. And then I don't know if you remember, there was this big thing going around on Instagram called not going to lie. You put anonymous questions and then people were answering the questions. And there were so many questions of people saying, did you leave the church or whatever? And then it just like gave this platform of people to express all their frustrations with the church, why they left, you know, all these things. And, and that, in that time, I was kind of like, I actually was some people that I follow, I was reading some of their comments and the things that they were saying about the church, why they left. And I was like, geez, I can see why that would be hurtful for them. And it made me feel really dark inside. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. And so I knelt in prayer one night and just was like, Heavenly Father, please help me to see what, where my path is here. How can I strengthen my testimony so that I can be stronger and so that I can not let go of the iron rod, I guess you could say. And that kind of pushed me into reading Faith is Not Blind, which is a book that's so good. And It talks about how we have this simplicity phase of our testimony. And then we move into a complexity phase where we're, you know, we have questions that we want answered and they're hard questions and everybody has hard questions. And ultimately, if you can come out and you look for spiritual answers to those questions, not quite, not looking on the internet. Well, I mean, there are some good resources on the internet, but not looking on TikTok for answers to your questions, actually praying and asking Heavenly Father to help you receive answers that are spiritual answers, then you can come out on the other side with a more mature testimony that is more refined and strengthened. And that's kind of what I went through and kind of like a mini version of that. I was just searching for answers to some of these questions that I saw other people had that kind of like struck me. And I had a similar experience with my dad where we were talking about, I was reading the saints books and Mm -hmm. I, there was something I read in there about polygamy and Joseph Smith. And it just made, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, I don't feel like that feels wrong to me. And I talked to my dad about it and I was like, dad, this just made me feel really dark inside. I don't know. This just did not feel right. And it was crazy because we were at my mom's house, my mom and dad's house, and like the dogs were barking and my mom was doing the dishes and huffing and puffing about the kitchen being a mess and whatever. There was all this commotion going on. And my dad said, 
Ashley, Satan does not want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. And that's why all this commotion is going on right now. But I need you to listen. And so I, you know, intently listen. He gets my gram, my great, great, great grandmother's journal. And she was there and part of polygamy. And she was there when the manifesto came out and they said to no longer practice polygamy. And she was like, how can this be? They said that this was the crowning jewel of our faith. And now they're taking it back. How is this possible? And then she describes this incredibly spiritual experience that she had where she knew that she was doing the right thing. And, and it was just this incredible experience. And side note here, I told my sister about kind of this struggle that I was having with polygamy and she had just mm-hmm. got home from religion and she said, Ashley, you need to pray about it and ask God what he thinks about it. And so I did. And so this, you know, was kind of in relation to this. So after that, talking to my dad and reading my, that journal, it was like, I saw the whole thing with new eyes. I was like, well, what if Joseph, what if he didn't tell Emma about this because he didn't want to hurt her, but he felt commanded by God to do this? Or what if all these different scenarios, we don't have the context, we don't know. And it was just crazy how I was able to see the situation with just a new set of eyes. And after that, it really taught me that questions that we have regarding spiritual matters can only be answered by the spirit. And when they do, they're answered in such a complete way that no other online critic can't dispute or you can't even really talk about the kind of answer that you received that, that filled that void or whatever that that question you had, like it solves it. So that was my experience with that. Well, and I think it's cool to sometimes those answers they don't always like translate super well when you're trying to tell somebody else because we all have to have our individual experiences. But I completely agree with you. I wondered what would you say for you is your biggest hope for what this podcast will do for those that listen? So my hope is that I think people, they get really stuck on the questions part of it. And when you have hard questions about the church, they get stuck there. What does it mean for LGBT community? What does that mean for them with the church? Like they get really hung up there or they get really hung up in historical stuff. My hope is that people can hear others' experiences of how they navigated those tough questions and then ultimately came back and how their testimonies have been strengthened on the other side. And I think we hear so many stories of people leaving. It's so loud on social media. It's all over, you know, social media pages. And my goal is to share the stories of people that came back and how their lives have changed. And my life was changed and my husband's life was changed by coming back. And everybody has to go through their experiences. They're on their own path. And sometimes it takes leaving and coming back to really appreciate the gospel for what it does. And Now that I've interviewed so many people about their story of coming back, I realize that just because somebody is taking a step back from the church does not mean that their journey with the church is over. It just means that they're on their own faith journey. And sometimes that's what it takes for people to have a more mature, refined testimony. And that's okay. I mean, we find so much joy in the church. And so it hurts us to see people leave. 
it hurts our hearts because we know how much joy it brings. And that's why we're so passionate about our missionary work because we know the joy that it brings. But like the spirit really has testified to me about people in my life that are stepping away. Like, Hey, love them for where they're at and just know that God is in charge. He is in charge. And sometimes that's what it takes. I had a really horrible heroin addiction and I did some horrible things when I was on drugs. But now all of that that I went through, I'm able to do things like this podcast and share my story. And it's all... God has worked the whole thing together for the ability to share the story with other people. And so we just never know how things are going to end up. Before we get to the last question, I wanted to read just a little bit of a post that you shared on Instagram. You said, my own personal experience of experimenting to see if the church could make me happy and doing everything I needed to do to get my limited use temple recommend led to an entire transformation of my life. I feel like it is my duty to share these stories with so much negativity online, so much attacking, so much arguing and debating. These stories are a witness of the incredible miracle of the Savior's atoning sacrifice, a witness of light and truth we have in the Church of Jesus Christ. And I think that that is so well said, first of all. But second of all, I think what a beautiful thing to want to do. Um, I don't I don't know that there could be a pure intention. And I think you're right. Stories have a power about them that very few things do and and you actually said earlier in that post that it's hard to argue with somebody's personal experience and so i think what you're doing is amazing i hope that you'll keep it up my last question for you ashley is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of jesus christ yes i think that is such a good question and for me it means I am focusing on my relationship with my Heavenly Father and with my Savior. And I'm setting aside all the things that may distract me from that cultural things. Or sometimes I'm like, crap, I didn't do my ministering assignment again. Like, I'm such a failure. Like, I can't believe I did that. But like, I am doing the best I can. And if I'm focusing on my relationship with Heavenly Father and I'm doing whatever it takes to stay on the Lord's side of the, just on His side and do what He asks of me. And I'm not getting distracted with, you know, all the things that I'm not doing or I could be doing better. And I can notice them like, hey, maybe I should take a look at my ministering assignment. But, you know, I'm doing what's best, the best that I can right now with where I'm at. And I am truly just focusing on going to church because I want to gain a better relationship with my Heavenly Father and with my Savior. And I'm, you know, doing whatever it takes to stay in the gospel and to protect myself against evil things in the world today. I think that for me is being all in and and really just, you know, opening my heart to what the Lord can teach me through all the different experiences that we have. So I think that's, that's my response to that one. I love it. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. And I, again, I just will put in a plug for Ashley's podcast. You should absolutely go and listen. And um, I, I appreciate your time so, so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. 
I'm so grateful to Ashley Stone for joining us on this week's episode. I recommend checking out the Comeback Podcast, which you can listen to wherever you listen to your podcast. Big thanks to Derek Campbell of Mix It Six Studios for his help with this episode. And thank you for listening. We'll look forward to being with you again next week.